Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of my JC Chazé series. This is going to be part three, and today we are talking about one of the most colossally successful, record-breaking, unbelievable music eras of all time, and that is, of course, the No Strings Attached era by NSYNC. And I don't know what to say. (laughs) I mean, I have tons of notes here, and we're going to go through a lot of facts and uh, detailed information and, of course, get into how JC was feeling during this and what was going through his head at the time and his shining moments, of course. But what I mean by I don't know what to say is I just feel like you had to be there, really. Like, if you're around my age and you remember what it was like, then you know how indescribable this was. And if you weren't there, I just feel like you'll never understand, sadly, because there are no more pop eras like this, you know? I just feel like it doesn't really happen this way anymore. And it just feels different. And maybe it's because I'm an adult now. Like maybe 10-year-olds today feel just as overwhelmed by the hugeness of their favorite group. And, you know, girls screaming and shutting down Times Square and TRL and all of that. But I don't know. It just feels singular to me. It feels like something I'm really happy to have experienced because it was so much fun. It was a blast. Just being involved in a fandom, and I wouldn't even have known to call it a fandom back then, but to have you and basically all your friends just in love and obsessed with the same group and the same album and just every day freaking out, every magazine that you can get a hold of, you get a hold of. Every piece of merch that you can con your parents into buying you, you get. Every concert you can possibly go to, you know, again, it involves a lot of begging parents. And thankfully, my mom is very cool. So I ended up going to three instant concerts, not in the year 2000, unfortunately, but later on. I just don't know how to explain how much fun it really was. I actually had an in-sync birthday party at the roller rink that year. That's the kind of level I was on, you know? Like, I had to have an in-sync birthday party. Actually, my birthday fell just a couple weeks after No Strings Attached came out. So that was just peak obsession of literally just sitting in my room and listening to the album over and over, like, not doing anything. Not, like, listening to it during something, you know, do, well, like, listening to it while I clean my room or do my homework. No, just listening to it. <laughs> like, that's it. Just listening to it and, you know, looking through my CD booklet or, you know, listening to it while I uh, look up facts and, you know, information about JC and dream about possibly marrying him someday. Hasn't happened yet, but the guy still doesn't have a ring on his finger. So, you know what? I'm not going to limit myself. But anyway... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you listen to the last episode, which you absolutely have to go back and listen to parts one and two if you haven't, because this really is like a story. The first episode was all about JC's childhood and the Mickey Mouse Club. And then the second episode, we got into the early days of NSYNC. And now we're going to start with No Strings Attached and get into the rest of it. So we know from the last episode that JC was one of the guys in the group who felt the strongest about the fact that they had to take legal action against their former manager, Lou Pearlman. He even had that amazing quote at the end of his declaration because as I said last time, JC was the one to initially speak for the five of them in court. He said they would no longer be puppets on strings. Of course, that is part of the inspiration for No Strings Attached, the album. And you know what? It really is so perfect because I feel like the perfect pop records, yes, they are fun and upbeat and catchy, but there's also a meaning in it that makes it really hit. You know, like you can have a few songs here and there that are just like filler songs and are just fun and whatever. But when you have that iconic pop track that has all of the things that make it play on the radio and make people obsessed with it and make it a huge hit, but it also has that core, like that grounded meaning at the bottom of it. That is what makes the perfect pop record. And it's not that they weren't big before. Like, I don't want to make it sound like they were this smaller group before this. Like, they were really big in 98, 99 in America. Truly, they were. But when Bye 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 came out, this switch just flipped. And it did not flip down until the group went on hiatus. Which I, yes, will still call it that. Because they will get back together someday. I believe it. Can you believe it too, please? Let's all believe together. Okay. So <laughs> NSYNC had just come through this absolutely terrible legal battle. And actually, while they were still in the midst of it, in September of 99, they were in the back of a cab in London. And some of the guys tell this story a little differently, but basically the gist of it, Chris said, it has to be something like Pinocchio, like I've got no strings on me. And Justin's response to that was to say, yeah, how about no strings attached? And it just fit so perfectly because, of course, I'm sure you know this, but Pinocchio is the story of a marionette doll who longs to be a real boy. You know, he doesn't want to live this fake existence where somebody else is in control of his arms and legs and demands where he goes and what he does. He wanted to be a quote, real boy, right? And it was the perfect theme for a pop music era because not only was it whimsical and vivid and makes you think of all kinds of different theatrical imagery, but it also has true meaning because you could say that the five of them were being held like puppets on strings by Lou Pearlman. And that's exactly what JC did say in his court declaration. You know, we will no longer be puppets on strings. Sorry. <laughs> With the legal hassles now behind them, NSYNC was finally set to release their sophomore album, appropriately entitled No Strings Attached. Well, the name of the album is No Strings Attached. We feel like there's nothing that, you know, can hold us down anymore. We're really coming into our own. This album is explosive. It feels like every song is just packed with like a keg of gunpowder. Every song on this album is like 
worth going out to buy the record. That's what's great about this album. That's what we're most proud about this album. It's not like, you know, when you pick up an album, I hate skipping songs, man. You're like, this song, you don't have to skip any. JC had already been working on the song that ended up becoming the No Strings Attached track on the album, which, by the way, is one of NSYNC's best songs. I think most people in the fandom agree with that. He came to the guys like a week after that night in the cab and was like, hey, I have this song. It's called No Strings Attached. Like, what do you guys think of it? And they were just amazed. You know, Chris said specifically that that was when he started to really realize, like, of course, he already knew JC was talented, but that's when he started to really realize, like, between No Strings Attached and Space Cowboy, which JC also co-wrote and the other tracks that he was co-writing, it was just very, very clear that JC really knew what he was doing and was really born to do this. I mean, to have a song ready that quickly after they come up with the concept is pretty impressive. And of course, the concept of the song Bye Bye Bye, which NSYNC did not write. That was a song that was brought to them by the label. But it was also perfect because, again, it's the perfect double pop entendre, you know? They could be singing about some girl who has taken advantage of them and is a horrible girlfriend and they're saying bye-bye-bye to her. But, of course, who they're really saying bye-bye-bye to is Lou Pearlman and Transcontinental and BMG and all the people that work them to the bone to the point of Lance collapsing and thought that they deserved pennies in exchange for all their hard work and the hundreds of millions of dollars that not only they had already brought in, but of course they would continue to bring in. Because the legal battle was so difficult and there was really no guarantee that they would win the case at all, all five guys were really just relieved that they even won and that they were even getting the opportunity to release another album as in sync. They were not even thinking, like, not even close to thinking that they would be breaking the sales record for <laughs> the fastest selling album in history. They that, that wasn't even on their minds because they literally were just like, we are so happy that we're still here and that not only are we releasing an album now, but we have more creative control. And that was the really big thing with this album. Like when they went into Jive to negotiate, which ended up becoming their new record label, it was like, look, of course the label's going to have influence and we understand that, but we have to have more control over what we're doing in our lives. We cannot just get up at 4 or 5 a.m. every day and go to bed at 12 or 1 a.m., never have time for our families and literally go on every single show that'll have us and do every single tour day possible. Like we need to have some control over this and we also have to make music that we want to make. We are not just going to do the trendy Euro pop of the time or whatever it is right now. We really want to differentiate ourselves not only from the Backstreet Boys specifically but from music and pop music in general. They really had an axe to grind because it wasn't just the battle against Lou. NSYNC was not taken seriously. They really weren't. And I knew this because as a child who loved them, like I was constantly feeling like I liked something that was for kids or like young people, you know, something that wasn't serious, something that wasn't deep, something that wasn't meaningful, even though I knew it was so meaningful to me. I actually remember my older cousin, she's five years older than me, and you know, she was like too cool for instinct at the time, but she secretly liked their music. Like we would listen to it at my house, but you could tell that around her, 
high school friends or whatever, they weren't listening to NSYNC, so she would pretend that she was too cool for it. And I remember we hadn't seen each other for a few months, and she came over, and we were listening to NSYNC. And she goes, oh, man, you still love NSYNC? She goes, don't worry. You're going to get over that someday. Like, you won't even care about them. And here I am, literally 23 years later, still obsessed with NSYNC. I mean, she could not have been more wrong. It's so funny. (laughs) It was so meaningful. It really was to them and to all of their fans, which numbered in the millions. They really felt like they wanted to show their musical identity on this album, and they didn't just want to take whatever tracks were offered to them, you know? Because yes, you do have things like Bye Bye Bye, which I think that song is absolutely a singular moment in pop music perfection like i do think that is one of the best pop songs ever written bye 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 the song is a love song but it's about kissing somebody off it's like they burned you and now they want you back and you're like sorry you were you messed up you, you had your chance and you blew it so that's what the video is about except for this is more like a freaky control situation where the girl like wants to try and control everything that you do so we're basically trying to get as far away from this girl as we can because she's just messed up this song uh it's kind of gonna set the tone for our new album our album's called no strings attached we're gonna do a lot of puppet choreography by wayne eisen is like amazing with with working concepts out by he gets it like right away bye and still to this day and this has continued since it came out <laughs> in 2000 that's one song i never ever skip when it comes on my shuffle ever Anytime it comes on my shuffle, whether I just listened to NSYNC that day or I haven't listened to them for a while, anytime I hear those early strings in that song, which it has the best intro ever, doesn't it? I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to perform. I'm ready to do the fist. I'm ready to do the talking hand. I'm ready to do JC's beautiful, what would you call it? His run, his bye-bye, baby. Like you have to do, every time you have to do it. That's me. Every time the song comes on. Seriously, it is one of the best pop songs ever written. And the fact that it just suited the situation that they were in so well, it's all just this magical fate coming together perfectly to really, like I said, flip this switch on NSYNC and make them into the biggest act and the most popular group in the world. NSYNC was on the Donnie and Marie show to promote this album. Yes, they were on the Donnie and Marie show. That was a show at the time. And they made their whole episode about NSYNC. One of the things that JC says in this interview I think is so interesting, and I think that it's a clue as to why his solo career didn't work out and why he doesn't release music under his name and perform it. I know he does other people's music, but I mean his music today. Because he's talking about how he loves the artistic part of show business, but not so much the business part. Now, you, you, you said, JC, you said that you wish that you didn't have to do the business, that you just love the music. I mean, yeah, you know, when, when, you're, when you're a musician and stuff like when, when we when you get together, when we got together, you know, you're thinking, you know, you just want to make great music, you just want to perform for people, and you don't realize all the, all the stuff that comes with it. I mean, you know that you got to do promotion and stuff like that, but, you know, when you're signing contracts, they're like that thick. Right, right. You know what I mean? And it's just like, all you really want to do is, okay, okay I'm going to go record in the studio, I'm going to give you the music, and you put out the album, and, you know, Essentially, it works that way now, but you know. But um, don't you, you get involved in It the takes business. this much paper to get it to that. So that's how JC was feeling at the time. And thanks to Mr. Lance Bass, we also know how he feels about it all these years later because of Lance's amazing in sync week 
where he celebrated the 20th anniversary of No Strings Attached with individual interviews with each member of the group and their manager and bonus episodes. It was amazing. And here's how JC feels looking back on No Strings Attached. It's kind of twofold, right? It was a sense of relief just to get to do it. I was faced just like you with the reality that my career and everything that I had worked up to, to that point, could have been over. And so the relief of just being able to do what you feel like you're born to do was immense for me. And then the next step was, you know, elevation. I just think of elevation. I think of because of all that energy that had now just been released and we were putting all this energy into just what felt like fighting for our lives, we could take that energy that we were fighting for our lives with and actually put it into something more to become more than ourselves. That's where I channeled my energy for sure. And it was like, okay, we're doing this. Like there are no half measures. Mm -hmm. Like if we are going to do something, we have to go as far as humanly possible. So as I said, Instinct did not want to go in the direction that all the other pop acts were going in at the time. They really wanted to make sure that they were creating their own unique sound. And they kind of got to make No Strings Attached semi-independently because they were in the middle of this legal battle between Jive and BMG. So they had a lot of the control over the producers that they wanted to work with and the involvement that they personally wanted to have in writing the songs. Jive sent them producers like Teddy Riley and Kevin Shakespeare Briggs, who, by the way, Shakespeare is responsible for It Makes Me Ill, which is another one of Instinct's best songs. Like, that is an all-time banger. I don't blame Lance for constantly fangirling over his own song because it is such a goddamn good song. Like, I will literally, like, if I'm at my own funeral, dead in a coffin, and someone starts playing It Makes Me Ill, you better bet your ass that I am going to be leaping out of that coffin and wrapping the entire thing for all the visitors and mourners at my funeral. Uh, that's just the way that it is. That's that's just how good it is. They also worked with Diane Warren on That's When I'll Stop Loving You. They worked with Richard Marks on This I Promise You. And of course, JC and Justin got very involved with the writing. As I already said, JC co-wrote No Strings Attached, Space Cowboy, but he also co-wrote the iconic classic, the before-its-time masterpiece, Digital Get Down, and he also co-wrote Bring In Denoise, which seems to be a lot of people's least favorite song on this album, including JC. He actually said that if there was any song that he could rework and fix to be better, he would. it would be Bring In Denoise. A lot of people just don't seem to like this. I always loved this song because, first of all, Justin doesn't sing lead on a verse. It is all JC. And you guys have listened to enough of this series. I'm sure you can put two and two together on why I really enjoy <laughs> that fact. So they also worked with Max Martin again, who wrote It's Gonna Be Me. Bye 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 came from Andreas Carlson, who's a partner of Max Martin at their studio in Sweden, where Instinct had recorded before. JC was writing with his frequent collaborators, Alex Greggs and Rip Rock. They're called Rip Rock and Alex G. You probably remember hearing that at some point or another in the Instinct journey. 
Justin worked with the NSYNC band on I'll Be Good For You, and the best song on the album, NSYNC's best song of all time, in my opinion, is I Thought She Knew, which was written and produced and arranged 100% by Robin Wiley, who I talked about specifically in the first episode, maybe a little in the second episode, but she is one of the most integral people in the career and specifically the artistry of NSYNC, so it doesn't surprise me at all that she is the one responsible for their best song. When they performed this on SNL during this era, you guys, I just feel like this is so important. I love when musicians really do something on SNL that shows their raw, pure talent instead of just doing like the single that they have to promote at that time. That was a very vital decision that they made. Like I said, NSYNC was associated with kids like me, you know, screaming little girls. And a lot of people didn't take them seriously. And I think that I wish I thought she knew had had a single treatment because that just would have been amazing. But an acapella song not the best for the radio, of course, so the label wasn't going to let them do that. Like, they had more creative control, but not full creative control because, of course, it's still a collaboration. But I Thought She Knew is one of those songs that it just cuts to the core of the soul, I think, so clearly and brilliantly. What do you think of I Thought She Knew? That's my favorite song that NSYNC ever did. Yeah. So Because I, I genuinely in my heart, believe that Robin was a part of the group. Oh, yeah. yeah so. She she was the sixth member of NSYNC. Yeah. I mean, she, that's that's the voices that... The know, voice sings. Yeah, I mean, that was that's the sound was Robin yeah. Wiley. She was just another level. And what was her background? I know she wrote she, Muzak, right? Jazz. Yeah. Saxophone. Yeah. So she was, she was all about jazz, but she was writing country music. So she had a background in jazz but she was at the time writing country music but you know loved all of the most classic music and the most skillful music right like if you ask her who her favorite you know songwriter of all time one of them you know the the one that we related to the most you know as pop singers was stevie Stevie wonder Wonder, and so it's kind of like having that in the room was great And and to be honest with you having a female perspective in the room was great you know you're talking about five guys and it's like okay there's some knowledge here that you're not going to get with another dude in the room yeah we needed some female energy around us i mean (laughs) the fans were definitely there but it was just a bunch of dudes yeah acting like a bunch of dudes look man i believe that the more perspective you have on something you know the better chance you have of learning something and if if you're learning something you know that's a good thing because now that's a part of you and that's a part of your arsenal that you can use to project robin wiley was just a, a very special person and i wish she was still with us today to work with them again on something new in 2000 jc did an interview with launch and they asked what the group had done differently on No Strings Attached when compared to their previous album. JC said, It's just heavier. It's not as polished as far as, like, pop is always labeled as being cheesy and is bubblegum because it's sugar and spice and everything nice and blah, blah, blah. So people forget that. I mean, pop, it's a very broad sound. It's not just candy. And we wanted to bring something to the table that wasn't all candy and overly polished, and we weren't too formulated. We wanted to do something that was heavier, a little more in your face. Like, the sound for NSYNC is very raw, and so when you turn it up in the club, the whole place shakes 
worse. It's just heavier. The sounds are a little bit dirtier. I mean, that's basically it. It's just not so overly polished and sweet all the time. And he's right. NSYNC gets aggressive on this album, especially in JC's songs. And I love that. I think that it definitely amps up a lot more on celebrity, but you hear the aggression in No Strings Attached as well. And especially when they perform the songs, I mean, the power behind all of their dance moves and performance skills and keeping the same quality of vocals coming out, even when they're an hour into their concert and they've been dancing that heavy the whole time. I mean, it's so impressive. I love how JC said on Lance's podcast that they were able to take all of their energy that they had put into fighting with Lou and the label, and they were able to instead transform that into energy for writing and performing and promoting the album. Because you could definitely, definitely feel that energy. So in 2020... JC did a retrospective interview with Billboard, and they asked if it was intentional for No Strings Attached to have a lot more R&B-inspired music compared to their first album. And yes, of course it was intentional, not to answer for JC, but (laughs) when they were making their first album, they were new, and so they really had to just do whatever the label was saying, basically. But they had all been raised on R&B. I mean, it was the 90s. Like, 90s R&B was everything and they all listened to that music and that was the kind of music that they really wanted to make several members in the group also have a connection to doo-wop and there's new jack swing as well which is on no strings attached and so if they had had their choice of what to do on the first album it would have been a very different album like don't get me wrong i'm happy for the album that we got but it wasn't really them and their identity as much as this album was. So here's what JC said about it. He said, We were raised in the States, and at that time, music had more urban influences, even before our first record came out. I think what happened, and this could just be me taking a shot in the dark, we moved to Europe to record our first album, and you're a product of your environment. You get excited about things that people around you are excited about, So we were actually opening up our minds to something new at that point. We were in the middle of it, so we took on those Swedish influences. For the No Strings Attached record, we came back home and essentially called upon those influences inside of ourselves that were always there. We were just in the environment to allow those things to flourish. It happens naturally. No Strings Attached was released on March 21st, 2000. It sold 1.3 million copies on the first day and 2.4 million copies in its first week, making it the fastest selling album of all time. After Whirlwind Media Blitz last week, there seemed to be no stopping, no strings attached. The album scored NSYNC the largest sound scan debut in history, moving almost 2.5 million copies in the first week, blowing away past records held by Pearl Jam, Garth Brooks, and more than double the success of previous chart champs, the Backstreet Boys Millennium. By the way, congratulations, guys. Thank, Thank you. Can you believe that? Does it feel like you guys are finally out of out from behind the shadow of the Backstreet Boys? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we ever felt like we were in the shadows. I mean, we had our own thing going on. Uh, It's just, with this album title, we took such a bold approach with it, people just started to recognize it. NSYNC moved more copies in its first week than the next 23 chart albums combined. Not the sales, but the album itself was a victory for us. I mean, we fought. Getting to release it. Yeah, long and hard just to get that thing out. So to us, just the album itself was the victory. Everything after that's gravy. But it's some good gravy. It went on to be the top-selling album of the year 
and of the decade, according to Billboard. It went 11 times platinum and stayed on the chart for 82 weeks and was on the chart at number one for eight weeks. This really solidified NSYNC as the reigning king of boy bands. Now, some of you guys have noticed that I didn't really get heavy into the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC rivalry in the last episode, and that's because this is a JC series, and it's really not that relevant to him. I mean, he seems like the person who cared the least about that whole situation, and plus, it's just, it's so tired. Like, I'm so over the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC thing, especially because now they're all friends and they all work together and perform together. It's like, whatever. But I do have to mention, sorry Backstreet Boys fans, this was major because they were always considered the lesser of the two before this. They were considered to be the copy of the Backstreet Boys when really that's not what they were trying to do. That's what Lou was trying to do. He wanted to create a carbon copy of the first group that he had helped get to number one because he wanted to collect all the money and have no competitors. But in sync, they were just five guys that really loved to sing and perform and be creative. And they wanted a career in music. They weren't trying to be the Backstreet Boys or the Beatles or anybody. They were just trying to be themselves. And that's something that they reiterated over and over in interviews all the time. But the sales were a huge deal. They weren't ever trying to beat the sales records of every other act in history. (laughs) But they were trying to beat the Backstreet Boys. So the Backstreet Boys had their massive album, Millennium, come out almost a year before No Strings Attached. And at that time, they set a record for the first day record sales. So Millennium sold 500,000 copies on the first day of release and 1.1 million copies in its first week of release which was also, at the time, the record for the most sales in a single week of any album. But if you remember the numbers that I just said, then you know that NSYNC sold 1.3 million on the first day. So they sold more on the first day than the Backstreet Boys had sold their entire week. And at the time, like when Millennium came out, everybody was like, oh my god, can you believe that the Backstreet Boys sold 1.1 million albums in a single week? That's insane. That in itself had the Baxter Boys feeling like they were just the kings of the universe. No one ever thought that just a few months later, the record would not just be broken, but pulverized, like NSYNC demolished them in the sales. I'm sorry. Backstreet Boys are now the highest selling boy band of all time. I mean, the Backstreet Boys have been consistently selling albums since 1996, so no one is surprised. But this really proved to the world that NSYNC was not just the redheaded stepchild of the boy bands. NSYNC was on the top of the heap. There's an article from the New York Times that discusses this, which I think is such a good article. It's called The Molting of a Boy Band. NSYNC spreads its wings, which I love that description, like that they molted. I just think that's perfect. And... It says, until last month, NSYNC was the second banana boy band seen almost universally as a Backstreet Boys knockoff. It had followed an accelerated version of the boys' game plan, grooming by transcontinental management in Orlando, Florida, material from the same pop factories that served the Backstreet Boys and Britney, and an album first released in Germany, yielding European hits and then a big American payoff. A 1998 Christmas album garnered additional sales, but not much more respect. 
Then NSYNC's third album, No Strings Attached, sold an unprecedented 2.433 million albums in the first week and has now surpassed 3.8 million. The group's entire national tour, which reaches Madison Square Garden on July 25th, is already sold out. NSYNC is, for the moment, the biggest thing in pop, the people's choice at the cash register. This time, NSYNC is after more than popularity. It has reached that inevitable career moment when, believe it or not, it hopes to be taken seriously for its artistic ambition. Then they talk about how Jive built anticipation for No Strings Attached and how strong Bye 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 was as a single, how their previous album sold 8 million copies in the United States. And then they go on to say, fans awaited more sweetly harmonized ballads, chiming up-tempo pop tunes, and shy but ardent promises of love. In its marketing, NSYNC retained the pop pinup style that got the group this far. What's in the package, however, is a little different. No Strings Attached is, for one thing, the first boy band album with a song about video cybersex, Digital Get Down, a clear indicator of post-pubescent consciousness. It's difficult, maybe impossible, for teenage idols to be content with mere fame and wealth. They want recognition on their own. No matter how lucrative a fabricated pop product is, Rock's mythology insists that performers can't simply be mouthpieces for shadowy control room authorities. Especially not JC. That's a comment from me that's not <laughs> in the article, but you know. I had to say it because we're all getting to know JC so much better in this series and we know that he cannot just do stuff for money and fame. He's an artiste, okay? Stars are supposed to mean what they sing, to be expressing themselves, not following orders. Meanwhile, the egos of young men who hear thousands of girls screaming their names can't help expanding. Inevitably, they want to unleash their own grand concepts. So then they talk about the issues with their previous management. They start to describe how the sound changed. And this is the best part. So it says, NSYNC now wants to punch up its sound, moving closer to the staccato impact of hip hop. If parents don't like it, they can skip to ballads like the acapella I thought she knew. Flush with artistic freedom, NSYNC heads straight for the past, specifically the 1980s rhythm and blues that sought to balance pretty melody atop hip-hop's street-level beat. Like the Rolling Stones discovering 1950s Chicago blues, NSYNC has latched onto the highly synthesized jigsaw rhythms of 1980s phenomena from Michael Jackson to New Edition to Zap. In a direct tribute to the New Jack swing of the 1980s, NSYNC remakes Johnny Kemp's 1988 hit Just Got Paid with its original producer, Teddy Riley. Bye 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 is the opening salvo of NSYNC's new Pugnacity. Though the vocal harmonies could have been set to a ballad, see, that's why NSYNC is so brilliant, is because they sing these songs that pop stars with a lesser talent and that don't have as perfect five-part harmonies could sing, but it's elevated so much because the group is so damn talented that you cannot help but feel that powerful energy underneath it. The song gives a girlfriend the heave-ho amid choppy double-time drums and whooshing electronic chords gleaned from Thriller. Not that the group stays angry, most of the album is full of the usual boy band come-ons, as NSYNC vows to provide endless love and heal broken hearts. To be up-to-date, it borrows TLC's songwriter and producer Shakespeare for It Makes Me Ill, a put-down of Arrival. But there's also a would-be wedding song in the group's old sticky-sweet style, This I Promise You, by the 1980s pop hitmaker Richard Marks. 
In its own cautious, mild-mannered way, NSYNC is straining at the limitations of a boy band format, trying to add acceptable levels of personality to its pop commodity without offending too many consumers. It didn't turn the monkeys into geniuses either, but you can't blame a boy band for trying. Next, public squabbles, tabloid exploits, solo albums, obscure years, and a reunion tour where old fans can bring their children. Well, I don't have kids yet, but if it takes me getting pregnant for NSYNC to do a tour, then that's what I'll do, because I really hope this was a prophetic line here, because, uh, yes, they have had public squabbles, they have had tabloid exploits, solo albums, obscure years, and now they just have to have their reunion tour. So I thought that was a really good sum up, if not a cynical one of what's happening with NSYNC at this time, because, of course, you know, it's the New York Times. They're not just going to do a rave about how great NSYNC is. They have to be like, hey, this is still, like, teen pop, so we're not going to take it that seriously, but, hey, at least these guys are trying to spread their wings, cut their strings, and do something different. NPR did a retrospective on No Strings Attached for the anniversary, And they said, No Strings Attached is so often invoked as a point on a fraught economic timeline that it's easy to forget you can listen to it too. And what they mean by that is just the fact that because downloading music illegally became so massive very soon after this, albums were never going to sell like this again. So... That's a huge part of this story as well. As much as I would like to say, well, it's just because NSYNC is so phenomenal that almost no other album has ever sold this fast. It's not just that. It's because people don't go to stores and buy CDs anymore. Adele did end up breaking the first week sales record, which is pretty astounding considering it wasn't that long ago and everybody could just download the album for free or stream it or whatever. And the fact that people actually bought it is phenomenal like that many people actually bought it I mean that's just amazing I do think the guys thought they would have the record forever just because of downloading so it does kind of make me sad that it was broken because I feel like Adele has enough like let NSYNC have this but you know if it had to be broken by anybody she is a very very talented person obviously so it's okay Adele we're not gonna come after you we're not gonna storm your house it's fine So NPR continues, but when No Strings Attached is seen for its substance, its forward-thinking production, its genre-expanding collaborations, the videos and choreography that made it as much a visual presentation as an audio one, it tells a much more rewarding story than what the numbers show. In a time when most pop albums were stuffed with filler to pad out killer radio singles, No Strings Attached was overflowing with ambitious ideas and hinted at where pop music and pop culture culture were headed hell yes Ugh. i don't even I, guys it was so much fun it was just the best time it really was so jc talked to billboard in 2020 about writing on this album because we know that previously he wrote a song here or there but this was a much more focused intention to go in the studio and really create something unique but something that would also work and appeal to their fans. So JC said, I always wanted to be involved, and even in the beginning, I had written some of the demos we shopped our record deal with. When we got signed, we moved to Europe to record, and it was a bit of a fish-out-of-water experience. I was recording on kind of an amateur level with my production and writing skills at the time. When you're put out into the world, you need to develop those skills and need to be around other high-level musicians. So the first album was a great learning experience for me to be around all these writers and producers. I acted like a sponge and learned as much as I could in the process while still being myself 
and giving my point of view on my vocals. By the time the second record came around, I felt I had learned a bit and wanted to use that knowledge. Rip Rock and Alex G were producers in their own right who came together as remixers. They remixed a couple of our tracks. One day, we were working in different rooms in a studio, and we started talking and exchanging ideas. We became friendly, and before you know it, we were working together. It was a very easy working relationship and friendship. And it was such a close friendship, in fact, that JC actually came knocking on Alex Gregg's door one day. Remember I said that the guys didn't really have money because of Lou and some of them really couldn't even get apartments and stuff. So JC had been living in the house that Lou had either rented or purchased for them. Allegedly something weird happened. So I don't know if Lou actually did or said anything inappropriate that made JC uncomfortable, like coming on to him in some way. But there are accusations from other people that Lou had done that to them and was like that. So I wouldn't be surprised. But of course, JC is never going to talk about that because he's such a private person. But it also could just be that he was uncomfortable because they were starting to have doubts about Lou and like he just didn't want to be under his roof. But JC showed up on Alex's doorstep one day and was just like, hey, can I live here? Because I don't want to live under Lou's roof anymore. And Alex was like, dude, of course you can. And so... They ended up living together and working on music whenever they had a chance. And they make such interesting music together. Like the thing about JC's writing is he really creates these worlds. You can so easily picture what he's singing about, like Space Cowboy. That's the first one we're going to talk about in, in just a minute. And I'll get more into it there. But the music they wrote really was different and just evokes so much interesting type of imagery. And as that review had said, it's not just the music, it's the visuals, it's the stage work, it's the sets of the music videos and the design of everything. And when you have songs that already have those motifs kind of built into them, it just makes it that much easier and it enables you to get even more creative with the visuals. They didn't even have top recording equipment because, like I said, NSYNC was kind of indie at the time. And so they would just record on like whatever the typical like simple technology that musicians and writers would have at the time in their house. And Alex actually said that some of the raw vocals that JC would just sing at their house ended up on No Strings Attached. So fastest selling album of all time. And JC was literally just like in the living room singing into a mic. I just think that's amazing that the the vocals were so good that they didn't even have to re-record them once they got Jive's money behind them in these big fancy studios with fancy producers. Like I just think that's amazing and so funny. So I cannot talk about this era without talking about the intimate holiday special. And when I say intimate, I do not mean I-N-T. I mean star N-T-I-M-A-T-E, intimate, because <laughs> they had this amazing Christmas special that aired, I think it was November of 2000, and the reason why I love this special so much is because it really has almost nothing to do with Christmas, but it is the best special NSYNC ever did. I mean, that's really hard to say because I love their specials, and so many of them have such a big part in my childhood memories, especially the pop making the video because it was like an hour long, and they usually were a half hour long, and it was just like this amazing episode, and I just couldn't, like I was so obsessed with NSYNC, and I couldn't believe, like, what I was seeing. Anyway, the intimate holiday special, if there is only one thing that you go back and watch 
after hearing my whole series, please make it be this. Because not that I don't love Christmas, I do. But I feel like celebrity holiday specials sometimes are like a drag because, you know, I don't know, sometimes they're singing like a, a traditional classic song that's like not your favorite or it's boring or they're just talking like they have the interstitials in between songs and it's like, I like to curl up by the fire with my family and open presents. It's like, yeah, everybody does that. That's what everybody does. Like, I'm bored. And this instead was sync doing performances in a theater in the round, which is so different for them and amazing. And they were doing new arrangements of everything. They did new arrangements of Bye 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 and It's Gonna Be Me. They did I'll Be Good For You, which... Is Justin my favorite member of NSYNC? No. Is he crazy talented? Yes. I love I'll Be Good For You. Like, how different was that from any other pop star at the time? Like, if you look at Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, 98 Degrees, like, all the big ones of the time, like, they just weren't doing songs like that. I'm sorry. That song is amazing. And it's such a great performance. They perform one of my all-time favorite NSYNC songs. And I told you, I think this is my favorite JC performance when they sing you don't have to be alone. Like, yes, I already talked about it. I'm going to talk about it again. It's one of Instinct's greatest moments and one of JC's greatest moments, that performance. But really, this whole special, like, is just perfect. So in between the songs that they sing, they do these little interviews with each individual guy about what they've been doing when they're not with the other guys. Because now that they have control over their lives and their schedule and their music, they actually have time for other things. They can exist outside of just Sync. For instance, they show Lance starting a management company. They show Joey working on a movie, Chris working on his clothing line, and then they show Justin working with Brian McKnight, and they show JC and how passionate he is about getting in the studio and creating music. Writing songs is a bit of a mystery. It's just about inspiration. Sometimes just the words will come to you at first. Sometimes just a progression on like a piano or a guitar. Uh, sometimes it's just something that somebody says and it triggers this whole thing and sometimes it takes two days to write a song, sometimes it takes two weeks, sometimes it takes two hours. My future goals are just to become a, uh, a better writer and a, and a better producer. I just want to work on my craft now. It's like I've gotten a taste for it. I know that it's what I love. I've found my, my passion. I know it's what I want to do with the rest of my life and now it's just a matter of practicing and getting better. I just keep plugging away trying to be more creative and tell a better story he is just so soulful and i'm so happy that he stepped forward and was able to express himself so well on this album so let's go through the songs specifically that he wrote so first space cowboy like i said this song is just so to me it's very theatrical it's almost like a movie and i do know that this song was used in that movie with Tommy Lee Jones Space Cowboys but I don't I don't mean it like that I just mean the lyrics evoke so much imagery that you just cannot help but picture what's going on like there is no video for Space Cowboy but I can picture it in my mind if I just hear the song and I just feel like the song is so high concept that is really JC's MO with a lot of their music is he rarely writes songs that are just like I love you girl it's more like these high concept ideas like if there's anything JC loves it's a concept so the concept of this song is of course the new millennium happening and how with Y2K everybody thought 
when it turned to the year 2000 that every computer in the world was going to shut down and like people would lose their money in the banks and people would lose stocks and bonds and the world would just shut down and we would have no electricity and everything would be crazy. Like I remember that from childhood. And so I love this quote from a Teen People interview that Instinct did. (laughs) And they said, so what's in store for the fans? Something even more unexpected than the surprisingly funky and hard-edged No Strings Attached. JC goes, everybody was sticking to guitar pop and we took it to space beats. (laughs) Now you hear everybody trying to do something digital in their songs. I love that. Like... (laughs) Here's what everybody else is doing, but we're taking it to space beats. What does space beats mean? I love him. It like that's just so funny. But space cowboy specifically just sounds like nothing else of the time. Like who else was saying why yippee Like it just why cowboys? Like I just think that's so I just JC's amazing. But I just love the idea in the song that the main character is talking about. Like, everybody's freaking out about this Y2K thing, but I don't care because I'm a space cowboy. So while you're all worrying about what's going on on Earth, I'm just going to fly away in my little rocket and peace. Which is kind of ironic because Lance was always obsessed with space and he actually wanted to be an astronaut before he was in NSYNC. And then I'm sure you know, if you're familiar with NSYNC at all, that Lance tried to be an astronaut. I mean, he actually did become a cosmonaut. He just didn't get to go to outer space which is sad I do think that that's really cool and badass though I want to say like people make fun of that all the time how Lance decided to go to space and it didn't end up happening but I think that's the most badass thing in the world that two years after you're one of five people who sold more records than anybody else in a single week that then you're like yeah I'm gonna go to the moon now or I don't know wherever they were gonna go into space somewhere that's fucking badass and amazing and so cool and I love Lance but whatever I just I stand in sync so hard anyways so (laughs) remember when I said nothing has changed since the year 2000 for me it's true so launch magazine asked JC what his favorite song on the album was now this is different because in 2020 he told Lance that his favorite was no strings attached but at the time he said I would say my favorite one that I've done so far is probably Space Cowboy just because it's a great song I'm just very proud of it I love everything that happened on the song (laughs) so descriptive JC um and it's not just another love song it's actually something else it's a concept song which is pretty good In 2020, he spoke about the song with Billboard and asked about working with Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC, which it's so cool that they worked together on this. She was amazing, and I love TLC. I still think TLC is underrated. They don't get enough respect, but anyways... He said, Lisa was a really kind person. I went down to Atlanta to cut that record at Dallas Austin studio and she had people that she liked to work with. So I met that whole team. It wasn't like a huge entourage. TLC was the girl group and they were the people that I listened to. So I was excited just to have a chance to work with her. Then Billboard says, the song really encapsulates that signature Y2K sound. Did you guys feel that paranoia during the time? JC says, look, the song was written for that purpose. Some songs you want to be timeless and others you speak about the time. And this was absolutely one of those songs where I had the opportunity to do so. I wanted it to be entertaining and fun and also a bit interesting to capture that moment. Luckily, it came out the way I wanted, which was exciting. This song is really cheesy and I love that he acknowledges that it isn't timeless because it totally isn't timeless. Like I was obsessed with this song as a kid and now I don't always 
listen to it like sometimes I hit skip just because it is so intensely like cheesy and about such a specific thing sometimes I'm just not in the realm of hearing Y-I-I-P-I-A but like I still love this song and running around singing and dancing to this with one of my best friends Gina who I'm still close with is one of the best childhood memories that I have of NSYNC. So let's talk about No Strings Attached. Like I said, JC wrote this really quickly after they came up with the concept of the album. This song basically is the same concept as Girlfriend, which is one of my other favorite NSYNC songs ever. And it's basically a guy saying, I see the guy that you're with. He is a piece of shit. I'm amazing. You should date me instead. But I love that JC kind of flipped the concept of No Strings Attached from this idea that was very fitting to their current situation into this romantic thing where he's singing really aggressively on these like heavy beats but at the same time he's just saying like I'll be with you no strings attached like I'm not gonna ask crazy things of you I'm not going to play hot and cold on you like this other guy I'm not gonna do all of this stupid bullshit that other guys do I'm just gonna love you no strings attached it's so good anyway so JC talked about this song with Billboard as well and they asked were there some songs that came easier than others or was the process a bit challenging since this was the first time your pen could really shine He replies, I wasn't worried about my pen shining. I was just hoping that my songs were good enough. Joshua, you you are good enough. You are the best. Okay, with every, (laughs) he continues, with every artist, you believe in those songs yourself, but you never know how people are going to accept them or not. But the song that was the most difficult, yet the easiest at the same time, was No Strings Attached. The chorus was what I wrote first, but I didn't have the line No Strings Attached at the end of it. It was something totally terrible. So that was the state of the song before they had come up with the No Strings Attached title. And then he says, I never laid down the track because it wasn't really going anywhere. Then all of a sudden, when we came up with the album title, I now had the No Strings Attached concept in my mind every day. I revisited the old song and thought, wait, if I just chop this off and find a way to connect these ideas, this could be really interesting. So what was originally a rough go at a song, because I liked pieces of it and I was struggling with it, became very easy once the album title joined the record. Then the song wrote itself. Okay, guys, it's time. It's time to talk about probably one of the biggest reasons why you clicked play today. And I, too, have been obsessed with Digital Get Down for 23 years now. So let's just get right into it. (laughs) This song was written, of course, by JC and David Nickel. You know what? That's what I love so much about JC's writing is that It's very rare that there's like 10 writers on a JC song, right? Like it's just him and this one other dude. I love that. So it was produced by Fight Ren, which thank you to the Instinct fans who corrected me. I was calling him Vite or Vate. What was like, I don't even know what I was calling him, but it was incorrect. His name is pronounced Fight and Rip Rock and Alex G, of course, Dream Team. Everybody talks about this song today. It really is one of the most iconic songs of the early 2000s, which is really impressive considering it was not even a single. Usually, if you're thinking about the top, most iconic, most remembered, most played songs of the early 2000s, you're going to go for the big singles, right? But this is kind of a deep album cut, yet everybody knows this song. If you talk about NSYNC with any random person, a lot of the time they bring up this song because it was just very memorable. People weren't really 
talking about cyber sex at the time, but it was definitely a thing. Like when people say it was ahead of its time, what they mean is writing a song about it was ahead of its time. But it's not like this wasn't going on, you know? Obviously it was, and that's part of what inspired the song. But I mean, look, who remembers the AOL chat rooms? Does anybody remember Pool Party? (laughs) No. I can't believe I'm bringing up the Pool Party AOL chat room right now. When this song came out, even as a child, I was like, oh my God, this is really cool that there's a song about this. And now today, I mean, there's think pieces about this song. It's amazing how much people love it. And again, just another testament to JC's talent and how he stood out in the group. So at the time, here is what JC said about the song because he was asked about it a lot. So he told the Baltimore Sun that, you know, he had no intention of ruffling feathers or anything, but the song was intended to be slightly controversial. And I love that he wasn't afraid to do that because one of the ways that this song is ahead of its time is not even the digital part. It's that in 2000, the sexuality of young pop stars was definitely more, how do I explain it? It was more not reserved. I guess I want to say it was more um, in metaphors and puns. Even though hit me baby one more time meant hit me up, like text me or call me or something, a lot of people took it as a sexual thing. Then there was obviously genie in a bottle, like Christina saying, rub me the right way and all that kind of stuff. They weren't overtly just stating sexual lyrics in a frank way. It was more trying to act innocent, but you know it's not. A lot of this stuff went over the heads of the kids that were begging their parents to buy the albums, but their parents would pick up on it. And with this song, JC was ahead of his time in the sense that I feel like in 2001, 2002, 3, 4, that's when all the pop stars started getting really sexual. Just to use Britney and Christina as comparisons because I mentioned their songs before, there was a stark difference between Slave For You and Britney's previous album. And there was an even starker difference, is that a word, uh, between Dirty and Christina's previous album. And even people like Janet, who had been extremely sexual in the 90s, like this was nothing new for her, but you know, suddenly she comes out with All For You and little me, little childhood me at like a kid's school dance is saying like, got a nice package, all right, guess I'm gonna have to ride it tonight. So I feel like in the late 90s and like 2000, it was about to transition over to that, but people were not writing songs like Digital Get Down. The thing is, it's not quite as frank as mainstream pop would get, but it is more sexual than it was at the time. It's kind of like the perfect bridge in between that. And now that I'm an adult, I listen to this song and I'm like, oh my God, this is like hot. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas when I listened to it as a kid, I was kind of like, ooh, this is scandalous. Like they're talking about cypher sex. But now I'm like, um, wait, why is this turning me on? 
So this verse, I just want to, I'm just going to read it to you. It's not going to be as sexy in my voice, so whatever. But it says, I lose my mind just when you're speaking. I see you on the screen. I get to freaking. So get down, babe, and I'll get down for you. I get so excited when I'm watching, girl. I can't wait to see you touch your body, girl. It's just me and you, so we can do what we got to do. Is that not talking about masturbating in front of each other on the screen? Like, am I getting too, you know, am I getting too whatever? Or is, that's what it is, right? That's what he's saying. And this is an in-sync song in the year 2000. It was extremely sexual for a group that had music videos where they are Barbies popping out of the box. You know what I mean? And standing in the woods wearing turtlenecks. It was just surprising I think for fans for critics for everybody and the song just really made a mark so JC actually gave credit to his co-writer in the Baltimore Sun for coming up with the idea he said I just wanted to rock the boat a little bit actually this song idea was referred to me by one of the co-writers he was like I got this idea everybody's talking about cyber sex all we're doing is saying something that everybody's thinking about it's not like we're telling people to go out and do it It's so funny that he even had to defend himself. Like, we're not telling people to go out and do it. It doesn't even require going out. You literally just log on to the computer. It's just funny that there would even be criticism like that. Like, how dare you teach young people to go into cyber sex chat rooms? Because honestly, as long as you don't give out your address and phone number or whatever, I mean, cyber sex is a lot safer than real sex, right? Actually, I would much prefer if I had a teenage daughter and or son and they wanted to have sex, I would be like, why don't you have cyber sex first? Like, <laughs> is that wrong? I don't know. I just feel like it's safe sex. But it's just funny, like all these parents and the extreme religious groups that are always all over every artist who expresses themselves. And it's just so annoying to me because... And I talked about this in my autobiography series, and I know I'm going to talk about it again on JC's schizophrenic album episode, but this is something, I mean, not cyber sex, but just like sexuality in general. This is something that all of us are literally hardwired to do. We are supposed to further the human race. It is a natural thing. It's not dirty. It's not, you know what I mean? It's just funny that anything sex related is just so scandalous and this wasn't anything this was nothing compared to Brittany and Christina literally like sweating and dripping wet panting in empty abandoned warehouses you know like it was just not that big of a deal and yet it was because it was innovative for the time So during Billboard's 2020 retrospective, of course, they had to ask JC about this song and they said, Digital Get Down always stood out to me with the way you guys thematically pushed your sexual limits. Were you wary of that? JC replies, it was just an instinct. It was kind of like, look, man, this is going to happen. We can either. I love him. (laughs) Yeah, he just faced that head on. He just faced that cyber sex issue head on. He was like, look, man, this is going to happen. Anyways, (laughs) look, man, this is going to happen. We can either shy away from it or go right at it. As an artist, I don't think you should be running from yourself. You can't be afraid of everything. The sound of the song gave it a tapestry that maybe was less offensive. It was more of us making it dancey, and it won't be as intrusive as if we did it slow and sexy and really put it in somebody's face. We made it fun, but we still got our point across. 
They reply, oh, the point was definitely made. Can you confirm if the song is really about cyber sex? Are you effing kidding me? I'm just confused. Like, why out of all the questions that you could ask, you ask that? If I had JC Chazé at my disposal, like, looking at me, waiting for a question so he can respond, I would not say, is it really about cyber sex? <laughs> That's like if you were watching The Sopranos and it, you're, like, three episodes in and you're like, is Tony in the mafia? I, like, I'm getting some clues that he might be... <laughs> affiliated so yeah of course jc is is polite so he replied like this wasn't the dumbest question in the world and he said i don't know if cyber sex is the exact term that i would use i would say it's using a digital construct to flirt it was not about flirting this song was about full-on sex <laughs> like i don't know how else to say it. i was gonna say intercourse but that's not what it is because you're not touching anybody it's so funny that it's 20 years later in this interview and he still can't just openly be like yeah it's about cyber sex <laughs> like anyway so he continues it can be as explicit as you want it to be but it's essentially putting away your inhibitions and sharing something through the digital stream so rolling stone did an entire retrospective on this song specifically they said boy bands have always known their way around a good double entendre see backstreet boys get down or o-town's liquid dreams but when in sync released their sophomore album No Strings Attached, one song stood out for seemingly bucking the subtlety trend. And by the way, we're going to talk about the tour in a minute, but like this song is the opposite of subtle. First of all, <sighs> okay, deep breaths. Um, JC licks the floor during this performance of Digital Get Down on the Madison Square Garden special. I can't. They also say it's tucked between This I Promise You and then they call the title track No Strings Attached defiant if slightly generic, which No Strings Attached the song is not generic. I just want to fight whoever wrote this, but it's fine. I'm not going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be nice. Uh, <laughs> so they said the slick and skittering digital get down was like an eruption of hormones and harmonies all at once with three and a half minutes of big beats and grown up innuendo co-written by the group's JC Chazé the futuristic synth driven track was a marked departure for the boy band while its suggestive lyrics whipped critics and fans into a frenzy I mean I was definitely in a frenzy but it wasn't because of this song it was just because of everything actually a frenzy is the perfect way to explain what no strings attached was like I was flailing all the time I was in a tizzy I was worked up my heart rate was very very high it was a frenzy that that is the perfect way thank you okay so Rolling Stone did something there with that so they wrote were the guys in NSYNC really singing about the joys of cyber sex and then they quote the lyric that I quoted from the second verse I see you on the screen I get to freaking so get down babe sorry I just I love this album I'm just gonna you guys are lucky that I'm not singing it from top to bottom so just count your blessings but 
it says that lyric and then it says Chazé crooned over a pulsating beat and a liberal dose of pre-T-Pain autotune. If listeners still weren't clear about what the song was about, the chorus left little to the imagination. Critics immediately singled out the song for its risque lyrics, with a TV Guide reviewer writing, Do they think the Braces Brigade in NSYNC's audience will recognize the R-rated oomph? And honestly, NSYNC had a lot of older fans too. Like, what about those girls that were following them around in the Winnebago? They were older. I remember they were older because I would see them on TV and stuff. So, I mean, there were a lot of girls that were like 20 and above. And I mean, these guys, they're literally getting chased around by thousands of screaming girls. And yeah, most of them are too young for them, but a lot of them aren't. And literally, they could have like any girl in the audience that they want. And obviously, they're young, hot, successful, rich celebrity men. Like, obviously, they're going to be thinking about sex like 90% of the time. And it's only natural that they would be writing about it. They continue, a New York Times review, meanwhile, described No Strings Attached as the first boy band album with a song about video cybersex, a clear indicator of its post-pubescent consciousness. In 2000, when direct messages still meant talking to someone in a chat room or leaving a voicemail on their phone, Digital Get Down helped to usher in a new way of using technology. Could our computers and a strategically placed webcam help ease the pain of long distance? I mean, definitely. Like, mm, as someone who has had a long-distance relationship before, I'm just... You guys use your imagination. I'm not going to explain that. I'm just saying, like, yes. So here is what JC said about this song when asked by Lance. And again, this is from the amazing interview retrospective that Lance did with all five guys. And you know why Digital Get Down got a lot of, I mean, come on. Because I was looking into the future. You were definitely looking into the future. Yeah. This was the first song that was about getting down on the internet with yeah. someone. Yeah. You were so ahead of the game. How did you know? How did you know that was going to even be a thing? Because in the year 2000, and maybe even wrote this in 99, we weren't really online talking to people much except in the AOL chat room. Because I'm a freak. Uh, <laughs> so you were in the chat rooms back in the day. No, I don't. Even, I don't know how to use the chat room. I don't yeah. even know what that means. But, <laughs> um, but look, we're all. Everybody is always dreaming about the future. In at one time or another, in some part of your day, you're dreaming about the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so yeah, when you dream about the future and you're kind of freaky, <laughs> freaky, freaky. <laughs> like, I love it. All right, guys, it's time to talk about Bring in Denoise. I never realized that the guys themselves and a lot of the fandom don't like this song. I've always really liked it. And listening to it now with a more critical ear for doing this series, I still really like it. I mean, it's not a highlight of the album, but that's only because this album has fucking masterpieces on it. Like, I thought she knew and bye, bye, bye. And it makes me ill. So... That's the only reason why. I think this is such a good dance song. It's such a fun party song. And honestly, a pop album in the year 2000, like it should have a song or two that are just fun dance pop songs and not necessarily have this like a big story or high concept thing going on. And I love the bridge. I, I like, I love that part. Every time that like gets me going. And again, JC sings both verses of this song, which is my fantasy. I'm sorry, Justin, but 
the world has always needed more JC, but I just feel like in 2000, nobody realized it because NSYNC was so huge. But now that there's been all these years without JC releasing albums or doing performances and stuff, I feel like I appreciate something like Bring Into Noise so much more because I'm like, okay, this is a JC song. Not only did he write it, it was written by him and Fight Ren and again produced by Ren, Rip Rock and Alex G and JC himself, which again, that's like a small team for a song like this. I feel like other filler pop songs and like, yeah, you can call this filler. I mean, I really like it. It's good filler, but it's filler. They have like 10 writers and I just feel like everyone is always thinking why? you know did did everybody contribute one word like this song is not complicated so I love that JC kind of works more with a small team he just works with the people that that he vibes with that he gets like they get him and he gets them and they work well together I actually wonder what would happen if today literally today at this moment JC went into the studio with Rip Rock and Alex G what would happen would they write songs that sounded like this or would they write songs that sound more contemporary for today or some combination of the two I'm not really sure but I pray for it every night so if our higher power out there feels like answering my prayers can you please do that because it's been a really long time uh, since JC has released music and I just feel like I know that there's all these other problems in the world there's like poverty there's famine there's war but I'm just wondering why if you are an all-powerful god why you're not forcing JC to make an album I know I know there's the whole free will thing but I just don't really relate to that right now I just want him to go into the studio with Rip Rock and Alex G thank you so <laughs> JC said that he felt that Bring Into Noise was an elevated version of some of their other songs. It was an elevated energy from the previous album. And he said that this was the song that was the most like the previous album. And he said that one of the reasons why he does like it is because it's kind of like a good bridge from the self-titled album to No Strings Attached because No Strings Attached was a bit of a different sound for NSYNC as I had explained. They were going in a different direction. So I think even though they knew they had to do that and they they figured it would work out, they weren't 100% sure because they were like, oh, what if our fans want the old album just kind of reworked with some new touches? And here we are going in this different direction. So he said that this was kind of like something easy for there to be continuity between the previous album and this album. And he compared it to the song Here We Go, which is also obviously just like a fun party song. And I know Lance hates that song. He actually said that he thinks of it every time a plane takes off, which I think is so funny. <laughs> Does anyone else think that's hilarious? I'm sorry, but that Lance Bass, like every time he is on a flight... <laughs> He's thinking, here we go. Honestly, that's hilarious. I love Lance. Maybe I'll do a Lance series. You know, I'm I'm feeling crazy. Anyway, I think it's really cute that JC cared about not leaving the fans that love the first album behind. Very sweet. Actually, JC is always talking about the fans. And that's another reason why I don't understand why he doesn't do more things in the public eye today because he clearly loves NSYNC fans. He did back then. He does today. I mean, he says the most thoughtful things about them. And I just I just love that he cares about us. 
you know, he's probably personally concerned about me right now and I should really text him back. So hold on. Okay, I'm back. One more thing too from that 2020 Billboard interview with JC that I had mentioned. I know I'm jumping around, but you guys are quick. You guys are smart. You can handle it. So (laughs) one thing that they said that I thought was so good to ask, like great question. And I'm curious about this too. Like I'm still curious about this. They asked, every so often, your name comes up on Twitter where fans think you didn't get your due credit. Do you ever feel that way? Honestly, it's not once in a while, or they said every so often. It's not every so often. It's constantly. And it's not just Twitter. It's every social media platform. JC replied, uh, no. And then they put laughs in parentheses, meaning it made him laugh. And he says, look, I'm fully aware of my contributions, and I feel confident in that. I mean, if you listen to the songs, you'll hear me sing on them. I'm good with it. (laughs) Okay, what? That made me feel so much better because it doesn't seem like he's aware of his contributions. Honestly, like I feel like he doesn't know how special he is. I really don't think that he knows. Even though he's a Leo, I don't think he knows. You know, I, I just, from other things that he says, Maybe he's just the most genuinely modest person on planet Earth. And I've said that before, that I think JC is genuinely modest, whereas a lot of people, especially famous people, are like false modest. He really is modest. Maybe he just is, I don't know. But I love that he gave that answer, that he doesn't feel like he didn't get enough credit. He feels like he did get enough credit. And I get it because... Obviously, like, I'm sitting here saying he's so underrated, but we all know he is one out of five of the most successful pop stars. I mean, JC at least was a co-lead of the group, you know? Imagine how Chris super fans feel and Lance and Joey, you know? I mean, they really are, like, underappreciated, but I think the reason why we just feel so strongly about JC is because his talent was so singular and so powerful and had so much passion behind it. And so even though, yes, like I can see what he's saying here, you know, he's like, no, I don't feel that way. I'm aware of what I did and everything is because how could he not be aware on some level of his greatness when there were millions of people screaming his name every night, right? But at the same time, it just feels like when you see somebody like Justin who has gone on to have this full-bodied career with these albums that he's really been able to explore multiple different artistic sides of himself and all of them have been successful. I mean, even Man of the Woods, which is his least successful album, it still was really successful. People act like it was just like a total flop and it did pretty well. You know, I think people just when that came out, people were sick of Justin or something. Anyways, JC not being a multiple Grammy winner with sold out tours and all of that is just unacceptable to me. And uh, I don't know, I'm going to get upset. So let's just move on. Okay, because we also have to talk about the songs that JC was writing that are not on No Strings Attached. And why are they not on there? Because they belong to other artists. Now, because NSYNC had made it very clear to their new team that they would not be working endlessly with no breaks and no days off to the point where Lance is collapsing, they actually had time to have lives, kind of. And, I mean, they still were the biggest thing in the world, so not really, but, you know, they had more time than they had in the past because they put their foot down or their feet, they put their feet down. Each one of them put a single foot down and said, listen, we we need some time to be human beings. So 
JC started writing and recording with other artists, including Wild Orchid, Boys and Girls United, and this group Scene 23 that I've never heard of. But probably his most popular collab from around this time. You guys know what I'm going to say. Honestly, I feel like... I feel like this is another thing that JC did back in the day that has become so iconic and people are always referencing it. Of course, I'm talking about JC's Tim's, his baggy jeans, and doggone it, I'm going to talk about his thug appeal. Because we all know that when you think JC Chazé, you think thug. And is it even okay to say that? Isn't it like not okay to call people thugs? I don't know. This song is iconic, obviously. It's called Bring It All To Me. It's by the girl group Black. And can I just say that I never realized that this song was released literally right in the middle of all of their legal drama, which is, I like, that's interesting to me. I don't know why, but I mean, I guess it's why he didn't like promote it with them or anything like that because, oh my God. If if there was a live performance of this song and he was singing, I, I would pass out. So that is probably for the best. I didn't realize how huge this song was. This song reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100. For comparison, Bye 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 was number four and this was number five. I Want You Back was a huge song and that only reached up to number 13. Tearing Up My Heart only reached number 59, and I Drive Myself Crazy only reached number 67. So chart-wise, this song was actually bigger than all of those songs. Hello, this is like reason 754 why JC is the best and most iconic person ever, because was Justin getting a number five hit single in the midst of their legal battle? I don't think so. And I'm not trying to be mean to Justin right now. Honestly, I'm not even in attack Justin mode. Like I've been in that mode at other times during this series and I'm not even in that mode today. Like I just praised him. But I'm just saying, JC literally had a top five billboard hit at the height of their most stressful time where they thought they were going to lose their whole careers. And by the way, because of that, JC is not even credited on this song. So JC recorded this while they were still with Lou. So that's why it said Black featuring NSYNC and not Black featuring J.C. Chazé because Lou needed to collect the money and he didn't have any legal right to something that J.C. did on his own. But he did have a legal right to anything with the name NSYNC because remember, he's one of six members of NSYNC according to him and according to the contract they signed. So that's crazy to me that people don't even know, I guess, that this was only JC. But if you listen to the song, it's obvious. You only hear his voice and the girls. Like there's no other male voice on it. So hopefully people figure that out for themselves. But yeah, this song actually came about because Black had the same manager, Johnny Wright, at the time. And they were opening for NSYNC on their tour And Brandy D said that it was actually Justin who was originally intended to sing on the song, which, ugh. I'm so happy that JC got this instead of Justin. Like, Justin has enough. But the reason why he couldn't do it is because he was filming model behavior. I'm sorry. What's more iconic? JC's thug appeal or model behavior? It's 100% JC's Tim's baggy jeans and thug appeal. And I'm sorry, 
There is no chance in hell that Justin Timberlake, especially in 1999, could pull off even even getting close to saying the term thug appeal. I'm sorry. It just it just wasn't going to work. JC slayed this and it should have given an indication to the record execs that he could have an amazing solo career and maybe he should have done more collabs maybe he just should have been featured on more songs you know maybe that was something that his personal team could have gotten more for him and really all the guys in NSYNC I don't understand why Chris Joey and Lance didn't get featured on other songs too as well because they all have great voices it's just a shame but anyways I've been waiting for this moment I'm so excited it is time to talk about the tour this tour is probably one of the most documented tours of all time because not only is there the HBO special from the Madison Square Garden tour date, but it was also the topic of a documentary that NSYNC put out on video called Making the Tour, and it played in IMAX theaters for six months. And on top of that, there were some people that couldn't get tickets to the concert and didn't have HBO. So because of the demand to see this HBO special, it was actually played on a lot of radio stations during the premiere of the special on HBO, which got 6 million viewers, by the way, so that people could hear it. So there were literally NSYNC fans all across America and probably the world sitting in their cars, in their driveways, just listening to the NSYNC HBO special as it aired. That's amazing. I just love the idea of a concert special even just like bringing people or slowing people down like that. People making a point. We have to see this. And if we cannot see this, we have to hear this on the radio. I just love that. Like the sensationalism of this tour and this era and this album is just mm, chef's kiss. It was a frenzy. Like Rolling Stone said, it really was a frenzy. So this tour was from May to December of 2000. It was a ridiculous instant success. So initially, this tour was 50 dates. And all 50 dates sold out on the first day. And they also set the record for the most tickets sold within the first day of a tour being on sale because they sold over 1 million tickets the first day. I didn't even go to this tour and I can't remember why because like I've said on this podcast, my parents were very cool. You know, if I said I wanted to go see Britney or something, like we went, you know, it was amazing. But I think the reason why I didn't end up going to this tour is because my parents were not like on top of things in terms of like getting tickets the day they go on sale. And remember back in 2000, I mean, I don't even know if Ticketmaster did online sales. They probably had a website. I don't even remember, but I remember calling Ticketmaster all the time. Even though I didn't have a credit card or any money, I would call them just to see like what was going on. (laughs) And so there were people that would go to the Ticketmaster booths or like in New Jersey, there was one called Select a Ticket and they would get allotted like a certain amount of tickets to sell as well. People would go to the box offices at the venues They would wait all night. Like people camped out to buy these tickets. So by the time your average parent whose kid is like begging for in-sync tickets picks up the phone and calls Ticketmaster, those tickets are gone. Those tickets are gone after a single day. So they added an additional 32 tour dates and I'm pretty sure those didn't fully sell out. I think it was like 90%. 
or something like that, which is amazing. And I mean, if you look at these tour dates, they are back to back to back. They barely have any days off. It's amazing. Like, listen to this stretch. May 18th, 19th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 27th, 29th, 30th, 31st, June 1st, June 2nd. Oh, okay. Thank God they had a couple days off. June 5th. (laughs) Like, You know, it's just wild how hard they worked. I mean, it's not that crazy because obviously you have to work at a high level to achieve the success and then once you achieve it, you want to keep going and you have all this pressure on you to live up to what your fans expect and all that. I get all that, but it's just amazing, especially when you consider the athleticism that was required of them for this tour. And if you don't agree with me, please shut off this podcast, block me, delete everything. I just don't even, don't talk to me because they deserve to be thought of as athletes. And I am not kidding. And I always say that about ballerinas. I always hate when people don't respect dancers on the same level as Olympic athletes because it is very similar. And anybody else would have been so out of breath. Like, I don't understand how they literally dance from the beginning of every song until the end with almost no breaks, unless it's a slow song. There's literally a moment in this where JC is running across the stage while he's singing his verse, like he's singing a solo and he's running and it sounds perfect. I don't understand how that's possible. And they didn't lip sync at all. They are so talented and they were so polished at this point. It's unbelievable. I am so proud of them. They were so good. Sync was amazing. I'm, oh, I'm gonna cry. Like, I'm literally getting emotional because this tour was so good. And I don't even think this was their best tour. First of all, I wasn't there, so it can't be their best tour because I didn't see it. I think Pop Odyssey was their best tour, but even so, this was them just, like, warming up for Pop Odyssey, and it was still one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. And honestly, I just don't see people performing like this today. I know it's because it's not trendy, but also, I'm never impressed with live performances the way I am with this. I mean, that's not true when it comes to my faves. Like recently, I was literally floored by the Jonas Brothers doing one of their new songs, Walls, on Saturday Night Live, which if you never listen to another Jonas Brothers song for the rest of your life, I don't care, but just go listen to Walls right now. Go watch SNL, type in SNL, Walls, Jonas Brothers. You just... Trust me, it's one of the greatest performances they've ever done, and it's such a departure. It's totally not what people were expecting from them in 2023 or any other year. And the reason why it makes me think of NSYNC doing I Thought She Knew is because this also was not what people expected from NSYNC. At this point, a lot of people still thought that they were just like this copy of the Backstreet Boys, and they weren't that good. They were just a manufactured group of five guys who some label just threw together and whatever. And that was completely false. And I just don't know how anybody in the world could see I Thought She Knew, a live performance of that song, and not absolutely love and adore and sync. And if you're not like that, then you have to at least appreciate the artistic integrity of them performing that song a cappella with the most perfect five-part harmony that anybody has ever heard in their life. I just, I really had to get that out about SNL. But why did I even think of it? Like, where was I going with that? Oh, because I was saying that most pop stars' live performances aren't that impressive anymore. 
And a lot of the time they're not. But this tour, the level of work that they put in was so clear by just watching it. And if it wasn't clear by watching that concert, well, you got the special, the Making the Tour special, which, like I said, came out on tape and DVD and it aired on MTV. And it's so interesting. I love this documentary because you get to see NSYNC at their compound with Johnny Wright in Orlando gearing up for the tour and then you get to see the process of them in the rehearsal hall and then at the actual venue and setting up the stage and everything and they had a lot of bells and whistles that went along with their show and it's funny because I think that some people would probably say like oh well when you have all that stuff in your show it's because you can't really back it up with the singing and the dancing so you need all this stuff going on but that's completely not true instinct delivered on the production value and on the raw talent it's just amazing like who does i just i'm so obsessed with them like i i can't believe it's 2023 and i'm literally like sitting here at two o'clock in the morning like freaking out about instinct it's so funny anyway they had platforms that came up from the stage what song was was that during god must have spent Because it's during one of the ballads and I literally, I don't even have a fear of heights, but these platforms were rickety. You can see them moving in the special. It was when they had, each of them had their own little platform. Not when they're on the big platform, but when each of them has their own solo platform. They're like shaking back and forth. I know that they're not going to fall because I've seen this, this special, but I'm always like, it's a little too rickety for me. And then they also have a moving platform where they do this, I promise you, which at least when they have their solo platforms, they have like a thing to lean on. But this has absolutely no protection for them. And again, I'm like, oh my God. But um, <laughs> they have this platform that floats out over the crowd and gives all the people that have seats further back and up high a great view of them and they also did that on the celebrity tour they just did it in a different way and JC actually was that when JC waved at me I can't remember if it was that or pop odyssey when they were on actually I think that one was pop odyssey but there was I think maybe it was Lance that waved at me on the celebrity tour but do you guys remember I mean I guess I'll talk about it at the time but they always like did something where they would come out and into the crowd somehow whether it was flying or they had these platforms or whatever like they seriously were doing the most they really were like I they oh they slayed every single thing that they did it was just ridiculous there's also a lot of cheesiness to this tour the costumes are not good I don't (laughs) I don't get the costumes like I like the costumes so much more on pop odyssey even though those are like very they're doing the most as well but I don't know I just I don't I just don't really like the costuming for this tour it's just too cheesy for me especially when they wear the doctor's outfits and they do the whole like doctor thing for it makes me ill I hate that like it makes me so it makes me ill actually (laughs) it makes me ill the way that they performed it makes me ill because that song is just so cool and it really is one of NSYNC's best songs and again I know I'm white but (laughs) I think that they did pull off the rapping and everything I mean I'm not saying they like stood up to Tupac or anything like that like I'm not saying that they were coming for Biggie or anything like that like I I get it they're not rappers but I love that song and still to this day that is one of my favorite it's one of my favorite songs period I love that song so the fact that they did this like very cheesy over-the-top lame gimmicky performance for it makes me sad but I mean the vocals were still all there and everything so you know who really cares 
But back to making the tour, does anybody else die when Wade Robson scolds them because they're messing up during their dance routine? Oh my god, partially I hate him for that, but then partially I'm like, maybe that's one of the reasons why they stayed so humble and down to earth. They had people around them telling them the truth. They didn't have people around them just saying like, great, everything you do is perfect. I just think that's really interesting because Wade Robson was like 17 at the time, which honestly, I feel like I need to do a whole episode on him. And I know a lot of people hate him because they feel he's lying in the Leaving Neverland documentary, which I'm not even going to touch that. Like I am not going to make a statement on whether I think he's lying, telling the truth or some combination of both so I'm not making a statement on that but I'm just saying like what a fascinating person whether he's lying or not lying or whatever what a fascinating life Wade Robson led how was he choreographing for NSYNC when he was like 17 and Britney it's crazy it's crazy and I mean credit where credit's due you know Darren Henson is the one who came up with the iconic Bye 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 choreography. I mean, I love Darren Henson, of course, the uh, purveyor of Darren's dance grooves that we all had, which I I don't even know why I asked for that tape because I already knew all the moves because I obsessively would learn them in front of my TV. So I didn't even need him to instruct me, yet I still bought the tape. Everything that he did, all his choreography was so iconic. I need to look him up. Like, what is he doing now? I need to, I, I want to see what he's doing now. But anyway, I, I just think Wade is such an interesting, shocking story, life story of somebody. JC talked a little bit about the stamina required and how difficult it is to perform like that on stage in this interview that they did. And I think it's so funny how he always keeps it real. So he said that the rehearsals were killers. And he says, quote, this tour is going to be physically exhausting. I think everyone who watches the show, they're going to walk away amazed, but they're going to walk away tired. That includes the fans because it's such a high energy show. We've been looking at the set list and working out the details of the show, and we're literally now trying to find places where we can breathe. The person interviewing them asks, what do you see NSYNC doing in 10 years? And JC, <laughs> it says, most likely doing a little bit less dancing, deadpan attired, Chazé. Which is funny because if you guys saw the Coachella performance, which was, I mean, the best thing that's ever happened, they were dancing really well. I mean, I personally think if you watched that performance and you didn't know that NSYNC hadn't performed together except for that one time at the VMAs for 15 years, you would not know that, right? You would never think, oh, those guys haven't performed regularly since 2002, ever, ever. I mean, the dance moves were modified a little bit because they are in their 40s, right? But honestly, I'm really curious to see when the reunion happens because it will. We're manifesting, okay? We're keeping positive here. I'm really curious to see how much dancing they will do because dancing was a big part of NSYNC, but I think because they do have these magical five-part harmonies, they have that base there of what their talent is that they could honestly not dance at all throughout the entire show, and I would be fine with that. If they wanted to just sit on stools, girl, I'm in. Sign me up. I'll be first in line. I can't wait. In 2020, Billboard asked JC about the tour. 
And he said, I think the main thing when we were working on songs was we wanted it to translate live. We always saw the song live in our mind. We knew that it had to be theatrical in a way because that's the most fun to see. And we were very passionate about our shows. So as we were recording songs, we'd think it would be cool if we did this and the crowd reacted this way or everyone can sing this part. We were conscious of our audience. So that is just one of the things that makes them visionary geniuses. And then they bring up the outfits and JC goes, look, I'd wear that stuff again. I think if you're going to be on stage in front of 20,000 people, don't be boring and don't dumb it down. I'm not trying to criticize our subject of conversation here, but is dressing up in doctor uniforms for a song called It Makes Me Ill not dumbing it down? I feel that it is. But you know what? I think they just wanted some comic relief. Like once again, that's just what makes them unique. They're not trying to be these serious pop stars all the time. You know, I mean, serious and pop star, you could say that's kind of like an oxymoron, but you guys know what I mean. Anyway, he says, don't be boring and don't dumb it down. If you're on a stage that big, your costume needs to be big. You need to give people theater. It's more interesting to watch. I've always enjoyed when people push themselves. We took the mindset that we need to heighten reality. I love that. If we just came on stage in the same thing that everybody else was wearing at the time, we would just blend in. And the point of being on stage is to take the opportunity to go bigger. Performing Digital Get Down was a perfect example. We can kind of look like robots, but there wasn't enough going on. So we were like, let's cut some mesh and stitch some silver in it and run a light through it. More! To me, that's actually very interesting insight from JC because the fact that they were even sitting there saying, hey, can you cut some mesh and stitch some silver? Like, I really didn't realize they were that involved with every detail of costuming like that. I just assumed that their wardrobe team brought them ideas and examples based on the songs or based on a rough idea that they gave them. But if they were actually sitting there saying, stitch in some silver, put in some mesh, etc. I think that that's really, really cool. And it reminds me of myself because I can be kind of a control freak and I would also want to do every single job on my tour. So I love that. And of course, they asked if he kept any of the outfits and he says, I have a ton of that stuff. We ended up getting a star on the Walk of Fame and we wanted to do a pop-up shop for any of the fans that wanted to check it out. So we pulled out different stuff for each of our storage units and threw it in there. We wanted everyone to see the real thing in person. I'm so angry that I did not go to LA for that. Now I would. Now that I've taken this journey back through NSYNC and JC, I wouldn't be able to miss it. I would literally like I would burn down my whole life just to get there, even if I couldn't like take off work or whatever. I still would. But one of the things that I think is very telling about how JC cares so much more than he lets on about all of this stuff. And I'm not saying, that's probably not the right way to word it. I don't mean that I ever think he doesn't care about NSYNC or whatever, but he just can be so cavalier and dismissive when people talk about certain things, like his writing contributions. I mean, I didn't include it in this episode, but on one of the times Lance interviewed him and he brings up his writing, JC's like, I still don't really consider myself a good writer. And I'm like, girl, (laughs) how can you say that? I mean, we are all our own worst critic. I've said that before, but it's just, oh, that's just painful, you know? But the way that he always is so careful not to say that 
he wants a reunion or he doesn't want a reunion is because he's so detailed and he has to do things a certain way and he doesn't want to do a reunion unless it's the perfect way that he thinks it should be. Which you could criticize that and say, hey, it's never going to be perfect. Just do it. The fans will be so happy. But I think one of the things that makes me really think that he does want to do this again is the fact that he has all of the stuff from NSYNC in storage. He is always the first person to say in more recent interviews that he saved everything. He even has one of the mechanical bulls that they rode on in the next tour. So I'm just like... JC, nobody is buying this kind of, oh, whatever, I'm not even a good writer, you know, blah, 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 things like that. Because obviously the songs that you wrote have endured through your fans loving them and listening to them. I mean, I I think it must be an amazing feeling to know that songs you wrote and created 20 years ago or more are still played every day, even though the group ended or paused let's say they're still on hiatus it doesn't matter because I mean it matters but your impact lives on every single day and I actually think that's one of the things that's really appealing about a celebrity if any of us have fears about dying or issues with mortality not to get (laughs) I know that you didn't expect this when you press play on the no strings attached (laughs) episode but we're going there this is how I am all the time so The work endures, and every time a celebrity passes away, I'm always comforted by that. I'm just like, well, we will always have access to the amazing things that they made and the amazing things that they did, and that's a luxury. Like, a lot of people don't live on that way, sadly, but NSYNC will and JC will when we're talking about way in the future when we're all gone, but even just now... He can be laying on the couch doing nothing and yet his songs are getting played in different places all around the world. That's real impact, you know? That really matters. So I am going to go in a minute, but first I just want to read this quote to end this episode. I think it's the perfect way to end it. It's Billboard asking, Looking back on No Strings Attached 20 years later, how do you think it fits within Y2K's pop legacy? JC replies, I don't really concern myself too much with the thought of legacy. My hope is that people had fun, you know? The entire reason we were able to go out there and sing those songs is because people seemed like they were having fun. <laughs> what have I said this whole this whole time? What did I start with? It was just so much fun. It was so much fun. Like... What I was just saying, that impact has lasted. I remember so strongly what this felt like. This really mattered to me and so many other fans probably mattered to you. You've gotten this far in the episode, right? And the fact that he is aware of that, it just makes me feel so much better about basically everything. So he continues, we wanted to make sure we did that for those fans who invested in us. When I look back on it, I think I tried my best to show you a good time. I'm going to cry. You did. You did. You did amazing, JC. You literally slayed every single performance. It's it's not even I can't. I can't. I'm oh my god. I really have to stop pausing after every sentence this man says to freak out. Okay, he says everything was so elevated at that time, but again, we didn't lose perspective. Understand that it's elevated and crazy and have a laugh about it. 
They also asked him what else stands out from the era, and he says, it just felt big. At the time, you just feel like everything is heightened and at a level 12. That's the best way to explain it. There was never a moment or a day that you were awake and you didn't feel like there was something at stake. It was a pressure cooker for sure, but we made tasty food. (laughs) I love him. I just love the way he talks and strings words together, and oh my god, I sound like a freaking... 12 year old girl I really need to get it together so I'm gonna go but thank you so much for listening I didn't say this at the beginning because I think long intros are annoying but thank you guys so much for sticking with me if you told me it would be end of June and I would only just now be putting my no strings attached episode like if you had told me that a few months ago I would not have believed you and I'm actually kind of embarrassed (laughs) about it even though you guys like all my listeners have been amazing like yeah you'll ask me when the episode is coming but no one's been like rude about it so I really appreciate that but I have not had the easiest past few months I'm not saying it's been terrible or anything like that but it's just been a challenge for me so I really appreciate your patience I am going to try my best to be more consistent from here on out and I hope that I can do that I don't want to promise it right now but I really hope that I could pull that off so thank you again so much for listening thank you JC you did make it fun you made it so freaking fun for us and honestly I want you to come back but if you do nothing for the rest of your life just know that you're already you have a one-way ticket to heaven okay for (laughs) for your contributions during this iconic epic era of music history I am so happy that I was a young kid during this so I could enjoy it to its fullest hysteric frenzy it was a frenzy we were all in a frenzy and I'm just so grateful I mean what what could be better than being a kid or a teenager during Y2K it's oh I don't know I can't I can't describe it anymore I've talked way too long already so please send me your memories from this time any thoughts you have on the episode, anything you want to say about No Strings Attached, JC, the other members of NSYNC, anything. Tell me anything. You want to talk about your mom, dad, cousins, whatever. I'm here for it, and I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriya Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica cast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica cast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessica cast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.